In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. Hello, it's Bria Felician, Politically Georgia podcast producer. And just a little heads up, this episode of the podcast was recorded inside of the spin room immediately following the Atlanta Democratic presidential debate. AJC Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell will be talking to people like Tom Perez, Nakima Williams, Teresa Tomlinson, and a few others. And also Tia and Greg Bluestein will be providing immediate reaction analysis following the debate. If you want to share what you thought about this episode or what you thought about the Atlanta Democratic debate, make sure you tweet using hashtag PoliticallyGeorgia. So just want to give you a little heads up on what you'll be getting into. And here's the episode. We've got Robert Jemison. Am I pronouncing your last yes, name right? Jemison. Okay, Jemison, yes. yes. And he is a reporter slash editor at Georgia Public Broadcasting, yep. one of our news partners. And so, Robert, I want to ask you, as you watched the debate tonight, what were some of the moments that really stuck out to you? I think it's interesting. I was more struck by the lack of moments that stuck out to me. It felt like same old, same old. And the interesting thing that I came the takeaway with is, you know, Joe Biden has a pretty strong base. Elizabeth Warren has a strong base and Bernie Sanders has a strong base. I don't think any of those camps are going to win over other voters from those groups while they're still in the race. I think we're really in for a long primary. Um, I don't think we learned anything new tonight. I don't think voters really picked up anything new. That's that's what struck me. And that is what stood out to me. I also feel like Joe Biden was kind of chill tonight. We didn't it didn't seem like we heard a lot from him tonight. I think he was trying to be careful. He's trying to avoid those flubs. Um, You notice none of the candidates really straight went for Pete Buttigieg, who's been surging in the polls lately. I think the candidates are starting to tiptoe around each other. And, you know, we're we're now in high stakes. You know, it's high stakes to begin with, but we're approaching the second. That was the second to last debate of the year. So you can't really take risks like that. And but when you do take risks like that, uh, like we saw with Kamala Harris, some Sometimes they pay off. And when you really find your find your moment, jump in and attack a candidate, like when Joe Biden said he's endorsed by the the only black senator in the United States Senate, um, she quickly jumped in and made a correction. It was like, no, that's not. No, you got it wrong. So let me ask you, speaking of uh, Joe Biden, poor guy, he accidentally said, sent out his post-debate campaign email earlier this afternoon and kind of the internet had a fun time with it. But I wonder, did that take some of the sales out of him? Because he just seemed like he just lost a little pep in his step. But, you know, when when those kind of things happen, 
you know, it seems like it can take some of, you know, some of the energy away because now you focused on drama instead of focusing on preparing for the stage. I'll say I've talked to another number of campaign staffers, including the Biden campaign, and debate prep is all they do. You know, these candidates are well versed. A small, a small, even though it's a big incident, that's not going to completely throw. These are professionals. These are professional politicians. They've been doing this for years, decades in Joe Biden's case. So something like that unfortunate, doesn't make you look good, you never want it to happen, but I don't think it's enough to waver a seasoned veteran politician like gotcha. Joe Biden. And let's talk about just uh, briefly, you know, those second tier, lower tier candidates like Andrew Yang. We heard a lot from him today, Amy Klobuchar. And then there were a lot of attacks against Tulsi Gabbard because, you know, of how she was positioned during the Obama years. Mm -hmm. And it was, to me, we heard a lot from those kind of second tier candidates. Well, we ended up hearing a lot from them, but in that first 30 minutes of the debate, there were about three candidates we did not hear from. We didn't hear from Gabbard, we didn't hear from Yang, and we didn't hear from Steyer. There was a lot of Elizabeth Warren, a lot of Joe Biden, and a lot of Pete Buttigieg in that first 30 minutes. The moderators did end up mixing it up and getting more in the mm -hmm. rotation in the back half of the debate, but I was really shocked that they opened up. You know, we, they didn't have opening statements, but those candidates still made their opening statements, even though there weren't, you know, prepared remarks, time allotted for prepared remarks. But you're right. Those candidates, they once they found their rhythm, they jumped in, they found opportunities to get in and make their points. And I think what's good for voters in situations like this is being able to see the breadth of candidates they have, because we're still in a primary. You know, we're not down to two candidates yet. When we get to two candidates, We'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. Right. Ten people tonight. Well, thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate you thank stopping you by. Me on. We've got more guests. Yes. We're cycling through. <laughs> We've got Democratic Party of Georgia Chairwoman Nakima Williams, State Senator Nakima Williams. And I wish you guys could see her shoes. My you're, battleground you're Georgia shoes. You're going to have to look. It's in our live blog. Your <laughs> battleground Georgia shoes, yes. you said. She's got stars and stripes sequin <laughs> shoes. They're amazing. Okay, so... Georgia took the center stage. Center stage, center we, of the political universe. How do you feel after feel watching it happen? I could not be more thrilled to be leading the party at such a transformational time in our state and in our country's history. Um, I've been talking all week with reporters about issues that I wanted to hear that really centered Georgia voters and centered Georgia in the conversation tonight on the stage. And I heard a number of questions around voter suppression and how we're going to, our candidates are going to lead on a 21st Century Voting Rights Act and what we're going to do to make sure that elections are free and fair for everyone. And there are a number of questions around that. Of course, we heard about our my forever governor, Stacey Abrams. A lot of people <laughs> mentioned her in their remarks tonight um, because Stacey Abrams would be governor had we not had all of the voter suppression tactics. Now, I would say we started to get nervous because some of those Georgia-specific questions didn't show up until late in the debate, like that last I was waiting. I was waiting. Were you getting a little nervous, too? Well, like, I have been talking about it all week, so I'm like, I know they didn't invite me to their events and have me talking about all of these issues. But I, I knew that the, the questions were coming, and even around the um, access to reproductive health care, a full range of reproductive health care, and the abortion ban that we faced here in Georgia, like all of those questions were raised tonight, and it's been a long time coming. And so now the true test is how do we take these questions off the debate stage, bring them back into our communities and have real conversations with our voters. I'm thrilled to welcome any of the candidates to open up a campaign office right here in Georgia, and I will be at their grand opening. So speaking of that, you know, there were 10 candidates on the stage today. There's still a wide open field. You're, are you planning to endorse in the primary? 
I want all of the candidates to come to Georgia. And so all 10 of them, and there are a couple that were not on the stage tonight, I welcome them to come to Georgia too, because right now we're in a primary process and I feel like I need to make sure that I am neutral in this process to make sure that Georgia voters are heard and they can have all of the representation from all of the candidates here in the state. So I'm not endorsing because right now I want them all to come to Georgia and share their ideas, their values, and help us grow our party. What are you saying when Democratic voters come to you and say, there's so many candidates, how am I supposed to choose? Why do we have so many? It needs to narrow down. We hear about donors getting a little nervous that, you know, there's there's not a clear winner yet. What are you telling people when they That's say they're That's what this having- primary process is about. We're debating the issues. We're debating them amongst family. We just happen to be doing it out loud amongst millions of other Americans. But that's what the primary process is about. That's why we have this de- debate process. And I tell people all the time, I didn't marry the first person that I dated. I dated a few guys and I got to know them and I listened to the things that they had to say and found out who talked to me most. And so that's how we're going to have to look at this primary process, like get to know multiple candidates. I have a few candidates on I'm the stage tonight. I'm taking dating advice so. tonight. I didn't know that I was going to get dating advice. <laughs> and I actually but. met my husband at a campaign event and we will have been married 10 years next June. Wow. So, congratulations. so watch out. Yeah. You just never know. <laughs> So was Tyler Perry, in, I just knew he was going to be here tonight. Was Tyler Perry not here tonight? I did tonight? not see him tonight, but I know he was here yesterday during the walkthroughs. He was. So did he get to meet like the candidates and stuff during the, the walkthroughs? I don't or? know if he met the candidates. When I came through, he was he was here yesterday. Yeah. Gotcha. So I don't want you to tell anybody's secret business, but I hear that now that the debate is over, there are going to be all around Atlanta, all these parties and celebrations and receptions. So is it time to kick back a little in Georgia, in in Atlanta? For for tonight. But tomorrow we get right back to work because the candidates are hosting events tomorrow. But I'm I'm planning to have a little fun tonight. A little fun? Yes. It's been a long week. (laughs) It has been. And yes, tomorrow nearly all of the candidates so many events all day long tomorrow all day long what's your schedule looking like tomorrow so I have a, a hectic schedule because I'm a working mom and I have a 7:25 a.m. flight to D.C. and then I'm flying back to Atlanta for um, an event at Clark Atlanta with Elizabeth Warren and I'm flying back to D.C. tomorrow night so I have a pretty busy calendar tomorrow wow. yeah wow wow I got bills to pay I understand <laughs> I gotta go to work Wow. Well, Superwoman with your Superwoman <laughs> shoe or Wonder Woman shoes. Thank you so much for stopping by again. This Thank is you. Nikema Williams, the chairwoman of the Democratic Party of Georgia. And we appreciate you with your uh, post-debate uh, reaction. Thank you so much. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I am going to bring over my colleague, Greg Bluestein, AJC political reporter. We were trying to see if we can get Mayor Bottoms over here. Well, we are. I was about to come over because Mayor Tomlinson, uh, oh, former yeah. Columbus mayor who's running for U.S. Senate, is about to come over. Okay. Um, so this is very fluid. So I just took a look at our AJC live stream, and mm-hmm. there's a comment, I think, by our colleague. And he asked, do you think anything happened tonight that opened the door for either Dev- Deval Patrick or Mayor Bloomberg to kind of ease into the field? That's a good question because to me that's a status quo debate. Uh, you know, there are some moments that will help Cory Booker because he had a he had a few very good lines. Same with Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota. Um, Joe Biden had another, to me at least, uneven performance. Um, but that's kind of been the mark of all these debates, right? I, I didn't I didn't see any 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 huge game changer. Now we could see poll numbers in three or four days that show otherwise. But to me, 
um, this was a lot of, of kind of the same. And it was a very civil debate. Very civil. I mean, there was a little bit of back and forth. Usually one of the people involved was Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to kind of how she positioned herself um, during the Obama years. Um, but other than that, it was pretty tame. There were, yeah, there's a few clashes of, of, over, of. over race and ideology. and But really, if you look back at four hours ago, what, what was the, the theme of this debate going to be? It was going to be about Pete Buttigieg getting assaulted by, by, by his more mainstream you know, rivals who wanted to show him as inexperienced and vulnerable. And they, and, they kind of brought up experience, but they tiptoed around yeah. directly coming after him. I mean, it, it was kind of subtle and reading between the lines. But it was not this, you know knockdown, drag-out fight. So we have former mayor of Columbus, Teresa Tomlinson. Yes. She's also a candidate for U.S. Senate running against Senator David, David Perdue. Because mm -hmm. as you all should know, there will be two, both of Georgia's Senate seats are on the ballot. Right. Um, we have Senator Isaacson, who's retiring, and that seat is the one that Governor Kemp will be appointing someone we think maybe Soon. in the next day or two. <laughs> right. right. And yeah. uh, Greg, who you just saw, has been all over that. There's been a lot of news on that today. Yeah. But Senator Mayor Thomason is yes. running against incumbent Senator David Perdue, who's right. running for re-election in 2020. Yes. So yeah. let me ask you, before we talk about your campaign, and sure. I promise oh, yes. we'll get oh, to yes. it. Uh -huh. Were you in the debate today? Yeah, I was in there today. I thought it was amazingly substantive. I could not believe the the rapid fire of questions. And I have to say, I appreciate the candidates this time keeping out the cutesy prepared comebacks and things of that nature. They seem to be um, training their attention more towards answering the question and, and certainly as a watcher of the debates, as somebody who's still actively assessing the field, I appreciated that. And to get to your first point, I um, certainly appreciated at least two, maybe three of the candidates talking about the fact that we need to flip the United States Senate and that Georgia is critical to that fact. What was the energy like? You know, we were here. We weren't able to go yeah. over there. What was it like in the room? What was the crowd like? It was it was amazing. I mean, I have to say, very respectful. Um, there was very little, you know, jeering or, or even shouting out for somebody's particular candidate. And most of that was back in the candidates' uh, seats. You know, they're allowed assigned tickets. And so there was a little bit of extra clapping. But frankly, people were very respectful of the process. Um, they didn't um, interrupt the candidates. And they were intensely listening. I think you see uh, Georgia is so excited to finally be recognized as the two-party state that it is, um, that they were taking it seriously, and they wanted the nation to see we were taking it seriously. Are you supporting any of the candidates in the primary? Not yet. No, no, no. And I don't know that I will endorse, obviously, as an active candidate. Um, there'll be a time when I'm the nominee, and we have a nominee, and we'll all be out there together. Um, but until that time, mm -hmm. I think that uh, we have a very broad field, um, and I don't know that you'll see a lot of endorsements until it narrows quite significantly, but I, I will not be endorsing. And so let's talk about your race. Yes. You do have, there are several Democrats who have already announced they're yes. running for the seat. Uh, how are you positioning yourself? What, what do you say to voters? Yeah, you, yeah right, right. Um, should be the, the Democratic nominee for well, the Well, I will tell you, um, the University of Georgia and the AJC is helping me in, in the pitch for my case, and that is your recent poll that came out at the end of last week that said if the election was held today, uh, David Perdue would garner 35% of the vote, and uh, the rest of uh, the voters, 61% of registered voters, would consider voting for a Democrat depending on who that is. I have to say that is the broadest field of open ears and eyes that Democrats 
have had in at least 20 years. And so I'm thrilled about that. And the pitch I make is that if we, we nominate the right candidate, 60% of the voters, 61% of the voters will be looking to Democrats. And so we have to nominate somebody who has won hard-fought elections, who has actually governed and governed well, and has a particular political profile to beat David Perdue. And that means can't, that I can not only run hard in Atlanta, because I am a proud Democrat. I've actually implemented Democratic policies. But because my family's from Central and South Georgia, because I've been in Columbus, Georgia for 25 years and led as the mayor of Columbus, um, that I understand uh, those areas as well and we can shave the margins in rural Georgia, uh, which is where um, the Republicans depend on that, running the tables in Central and South Georgia in order to win. If you have a candidate that can shave the margins, the math doesn't work for, the, for David Perdue. Is it hard to break through with so much focus on the presidential race? Is it hard to break through as a candidate further down the ballot? No, I, I have to tell you, people are amazingly engaged. I've been involved in democratic politics in Georgia for 30 years. I have never seen this. It is like, it has been like it was 2020 uh, for the last four or five months. Um, you know, people coming out to 8 a.m. Uh, Saturday morning breakfast uh, to hear candidates. It's just, um, people are looking for some answers. They're exhausted with the instability. They're over what's going on right now, and they want a steady, sane hand at the wheel that's experienced, so. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, well, Thanks. we have... Um, yes. ah. Tom Perez. Tom Perez, the, the head of the DNC. The head of the Democratic National yes. Committee. We're, we're trying to get him to come on over. Yeah. So well, listen, thank, thank you. Thank so you. very much. Appreciate and it. And we'll be talking, yes. of course, covering your race. And thank you so much for stopping you by. You bet. You bet. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You too. This is Tom Perez, who's chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Am I saying that Correct. right? Correct. Absolutely. All right. So tell me. Uh, I've asked other people this, but I want to get your answer. We hear that people are a little nervous, especially the donor class, a little nervous. There's still so many candidates. There isn't necessarily um, a consensus candidate yet, and, and there's so many choices. What do you say when people say, why don't we have our guy or girl yet? It's well, first of all, we're at mile eight of the marathon, okay? We have, the, we have a remarkably deep and talented field. Uh, if we didn't have a remarkably deep and talented field, that would be the problem. You know, I, I coach basketball, done, been doing it for 14 years. I've never had a coach come to me and say, Tom, I got the following problem. I got too much depth. We've got so many candidates who, uh, whose values are the values that command, I think, the respect and support of the vast majority of folks here. And we're less than 90 days from the first caucus. And voters will then have that opportunity to choose. But what, what I think people saw today, what I hope people saw today or tonight, actually when you just look at the last 12 hours, is a real contrast. We had impeachment hearings in Washington today that exposed very clearly that the President of the United States was calling the shots. He was the captain of the team. And the purpose of the team was to engineer a gross abuse of power. And you're talking about Ambassador Sondland. I'm talking about Ambassador um, Sondland and all the witnesses. Mm -hmm. What we understand in Washington is the President of the United States was all about himself. He was trying to extort a foreign leader. You can call it extortion. You can call it bribery. You can call it abuse of power. It's all of the above. And he was holding hostage critical foreign aid in a meeting until this president of Ukraine announced an investigation of Joe Biden and his son. That is unlawful, that is un-American, and that is unbecoming a president. And then you contrast that with what we saw tonight. 
candidates talking about the need to ensure that um, uh, parents have paid leave, the need to ensure that women have control over their, old, over their own bodies, the need to ensure that we build an economy that works for everyone and not just uh, the few at the top. And talking about America in which we don't coddle authoritarian leaders, we hold them accountable. An America in which we build alliances so that as a global community, we can make the world safer. We can address climate change. We can do all of that. And so when I see that contrast, I'm, I am proud to be a Democrat. Let me ask you, do you think, you know, the hearings today, the impeachment inquiry hearings, it went up almost until the moment the debate started, <laughs> you know? Do you think that took some of the wind out of the sails or took some of the attention away um, from what was happening here tonight because those hearings went on for so long today when, where usually the networks would be more focused on tonight, there's a debate. Well, you know, I think uh, networks can walk and chew gum. The American people can walk and chew gum. And I, I know our candidates can walk and chew gum. Uh, we have to uh, gather the evidence. And sometimes that's time consuming. And we have to make sure in addition to our constitutional responsibilities as Democrats, and as Americans, really, that we, the candidates in the, in the field, are also showing the American people what we're fighting for. And I think tonight people saw that we're fighting for health care. We're fighting uh, for paid leave. We're fighting for, you know, again, an America that works for everyone. And I think we can do both. And, you know, the American people multitask every single day. And I think our politicians can do the same. And let me ask you my last question. I know you're busy and folks want to talk to you. Georgia has not hosted a debate since 1992. I'm sure you go to all the debates. This is yes, the fifth one. How did we do? Yeah, Georgia did great. And uh, I'll tell you, Georgia is a battleground state. Uh, we, if we didn't think Georgia was a battleground state, we wouldn't have brought a debate here. And uh, Stacey Abrams ought to be governor right now. And the reason she's not is because of voter suppression, plainly and simply. And we have tremendous opportunity here. 300,000 new voters were registered. Uh, when we organize early, organize everywhere, and field great candidates like Stacy back in 2018, and there's going to be a great uh, stable of candidates coming up in 2020. Um, and, and again, when we organize everywhere, that's what we have to do because we've got tremendous opportunity, and I'm confident we can do it. And when we take back the White House, and take back the Senate. I think the story of 2020 is going to be uh, Georgia is officially a purple state. And let me ask you one more question, because there was discussion uh, before we knew where the venue would be. There was discussion about maybe having it in one of the Atlanta suburbs where we have the really competitive congressional districts, Lucy McBath's district, um, Rob Wildo's district, where Carolyn Bordeaux came so close last year. But ultimately, you guys chose the Tyler Perry Studios in the heart of the city of Atlanta. Can you talk about the, the choice to to come right to the heart of it all here in Atlanta to host well, we, this I mean, we've hosted, this is now our fifth debate. And uh, we've hosted a debate in Miami. We've hosted um, a debate in the city of Detroit. Uh, we did a debate in Houston, Texas. We did a debate in suburban, our most recent debate was in suburban um, Columbus uh, because the suburbs are turning uh, blue, not only in Ohio, but across America. And I think in the cradle of the civil rights movement uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia, this was a remarkable place to be. We had um, a real embarrassment of riches. And 
I tell you, John, John Lewis is such a hero of mine. And to have the honor of being in his district and to have the honor of his presence uh, and his introductory speech uh, is remarkable. And we're, we have to make sure we're mobilizing uh, every community here in Georgia, rural, suburban, urban, uh, white, non-white. And I think being here is going to enable us to send a very clear message that we are a battleground state, Georgia, and we are going to compete here. Thank you so okay. much for stopping by. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Have a good it. night. Thank you. That is DNC Chair Perez. I'm bringing my colleague Greg Bluestein up. Great interview. Yes, that was That's great. Cool. Let's see. You can see the spin room is still. Yeah, it's still hopping. And probably will be until probably 1230 ish. Still hopping. My watch reminds me it's a new day and I need to catch up on my rings. Oh, it's already a new day? Have we crossed it's, over it's, the midnight it's 12 mark? 12.09 a.m. 12.09. And your AJC correspondents have been at it, I don't know, since 6 a.m. Been <laughs> at it, and we got to go back at it tomorrow. Yeah. Do you want to talk about some oh, of yeah, the events Oh, yeah, let's talk about it tomorrow, tomorrow, because tomorrow is going, we have, to, I, we have to probably write a setup story with all the events tomorrow. There's about five or six really interesting events coming tomorrow with about a half dozen presidential candidates. You're starting the morning with Senator Harris. Um, yes, she's having an event, um, a celebration of black women, I think is the kind of theme of her event in the morning. I'm starting the day right around the corner at Pascal's Restaurant with Al Sharpton's group. And there's, I think, four or maybe even five presidential candidates that will be there. And then at the same time as those two events, Stacey Abrams and her Fair Fight Action voting rights group is having a call-a-thon at Ebenezer Baptist Church, the, the, the spiritual home of, of, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, the Reverend Raphael Warnock and three or four presidential candidates will be there um, to call voters who have been purged from Georgia's rolls to make sure that, you know, that they know that they can get their registration back in, in, in order. Um, and so they'll be calling thousands of voters, contacting, texting, calling, however they, they get through to them to let them know. And then um, you mentioned, we'd heard through the grapevine, it's not open to press, but Pete Buttigieg is going to be doing one of those cool barbershop events tomorrow. Um, I think that'll be cool as well. So. And then there's two other major events that are open to the public. First is Bernie Sanders will be at, is it Morehouse at noon? Right, and then Elizabeth Warren will be at Clark right next door. At around later in the evening, around yeah, doors six. open at four, but the yeah. speech is at six, which kind of means six thirty. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be another. Those are probably going to be big. Yeah. The Bernie Sanders and the Elizabeth Warren ones, I think, might be pretty big. Now Bernie Sanders went, I think it was to Morehouse, but he, he went to one of the Clark Atlanta University, uh, sorry, the Atlanta University Center schools back in 2016, mm -hmm. um, and it was a very important moment for his campaign because it was a time when it was just a head-to-head -head matchup at the time with, with Hillary Clinton. But the narrative for Bernie Sanders that he was trying to overcome was that he was not doing well with African-American voters. And so that was one of his, his efforts to reach out to black voters. And look, three years later, still has the same problem. Right, yeah. Well, guys, it's been a long day. It's after midnight. We appreciate you guys sticking with us, being... Um, engage voters who want to know about the process and coming back after the debate to get a little bit of analysis right here from the media center at the i like saying this the whoopi goldberg soundstage <laughs> i love that tyler perry has like named all his sound stages against like famous 
actors and actresses. It's really cool. And uh, we will see you next time and have a great night. Oh, and check out AJC.com, the Political Insider blog, because Jim Galloway's already back at home working on the jolt for tomorrow. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.